John chapter 6 again this week. Pastor Rick kicked off chapter 6 last week. Um, When our kids were little, specifically when our oldest son, Micah, was uh, was a toddler, so about a year and a half old, he... uh, Brandy stayed at home with our kids uh, until they were all in school, and so, but occasionally she would go somewhere, she'd have something to do, so she would drop Micah off at, uh, at my office. And as every father can attest, keeping an eye on a toddler is basically the worst experience you can possibly have. If you're a mom, you have this little thing called maternal instinct, I don't have that. So, uh, so you know, it's just like a marathon for me. And so what would happen, of course, as you know, is at that age, like they're big enough to like be mobile and get into stuff, but not big enough to understand, hey, don't touch that. Uh, And so they just do what toddlers do. He was there, you know, seek and destroy. That's basically the only thing existing in their life. So he would destroy my office and then he's big enough now to open the door and then he would venture off to go find something else or someone else to torture. And uh, so for me, this is just like a game of fetch, right? Like every five minutes, I got to get out of my chair, go find him and, and bring him back. And it was, uh, it was exhausting. But then I had one of the best ideas I've ever had in my life. Uh, I had one of those like big uh, kind of barrel, plastic barrel looking things of animal crackers. You've seen those, you know, they come at Costco. They're like, yay tall, got a blue lid on them, clear plastic. Uh, I think if you have small children, you know the ones. Uh, And uh, so what I did was I took this barrel of animal crackers and I shook it. And I took the lid off. I gave him uh, him an animal cracker and put the lid back on. And then I took the barrel and shook it again. And, you know, it turns out there's actually no limit to how many animal crackers a toddler can eat. Uh, But the key to this whole situation was I would shake the barrel before I would give it to him. And so after uh, just a few few of this, a few practice runs, what would happen is he would wander off. And instead of having to go chase him, I would shake the barrel and magically a toddler would appear right there in my office because he had this thought process that went something like this where the sound is the food is therefore I need to get to where the sound is now it probably wasn't that developed in his mind but that was the sort of the essence of it right where the sound is there's something good so I need to get there I need to be in that spot in John chapter 6 verse uh, verses 1 and 2 the same type of principle happens. This is what it says in verse 1. It says, Sometime after this, uh, Jesus had previously been in Jerusalem. Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Okay, so he crosses the sea. Now, all of these people have a previously existing experience where they saw Jesus do something good. Where Jesus is, good things happen. Therefore, I need to get to where Jesus is. Uh, We are very easy to train as a species, it turns out. Where Jesus is, something great happens, something new happens, something good happens. So I need to get to where he is. And that's why for us as a church family, our highest goal, really our only objective is helping people know Jesus. Because where Jesus is, new good, amazing things, they happen. People follow him, expecting to see him do something great, something new, something amazing. Same here. Same for me. Same for us. I'm following him for the same reason. The last 2,000 years of human history, literally billions of people, I'm I'm using the word literally, literally this time. I know that's a rarity uh, these days, but literally billions of people have experienced new, better things, had their lives changed 
because of Jesus. That's been an ongoing experience. So maybe he might want to do something new, something amazing, something good, even in our day. Maybe in our church family, maybe in your household, maybe even in your life. Amen? Okay, way to go, way to go. Uh, You're good. Yeah, Jesus, where he is, good things happen. So I think for us, it's important to expect something good to happen. It's important to expect that he's going to do something something new. Last week, uh, Pastor Rick talked about one of Jesus' most well-known miracles, uh, the feeding of the multitude, or the feeding of the 5,000. That is, you might be interested to know, I find this totally fascinating, it's actually the only miracle of Jesus other than the resurrection that appears in all four Gospels. That's kind of, kind of interesting. Uh, Jesus takes these, this handful of loaves and a couple of small fish and feeds roughly 5,000 men plus whatever number of women and children. Now, most historians estimate that the full number was probably in the fifteen to 20,000 range. But anyway, you slice it, it's a lot of people to feed with a couple of loaves of barley, a few loaves of barley, and a couple of fish. Uh, it's pretty amazing, pretty incredible, pretty crazy, pretty out there. I'm thinking that's why they wrote it down. I probably would have made a note of it too. It's pretty, pretty crazy that that happened. Now, that was the fourth of seven what John, we refer to as sign miracles in John's gospel. Uh, John says towards the end of his book that Jesus did so many miracles, I couldn't even write them all down. But I'm writing these things specifically so that you'll have the information you need to be able to believe in Jesus. John has a really clear objective for why he's writing the specific things that he's writing. And so that was the fourth miracle recorded in all the Gospels. This week, we're going to look at the fifth miracle, which is Jesus walking on water, only recorded in three of the Gospels. Uh, Apparently, Luke didn't find that very impressive. Uh, So this one uh, is actually one one of my favorite stories, and I'll tell you why it's so memorable to me in just a little bit. But John chapter 6, verse 16, if you're, if you're reading along, this is what it says. When evening came, Jesus' disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, this particular lake is about six or seven miles across, depending on where you cross it at. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, this is sort of the key phrase to this whole section, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. They followed Jesus because they knew that where Jesus is, good things happen, new things happen. So that one's just a total sidebar. But I want you to really grab a hold of the big idea. The key theme, the key phrase in this section, okay? Right in the middle of the storm, uh, try to drop yourself into the boat, okay? The disciples are out in the middle of a vast body of water. Uh, I don't have a lot of phobias, but one that I really don't like is uh, the ocean. 
I'm not a fan of the ocean. Just being out in the middle of this body of water that you just don't really know how big it is, it just sort of goes forever, uh, is just intimidating. And so they're out in the middle of this huge body of water. Oh, by the way, it's the middle of the night, and they're in a rowboat. And there's a storm. Uh, Any one of those variables in and of itself is reason to be on edge. And oh, by the way, now they see a figure coming across them on the water. Um, So to say they were afraid is completely understandable, that they, they might be there in that position. They're, they're out there in the boat, middle of the night, in the storm. They see the figure, and Mark records this, this same situation. He describes what's happening as, he says they were straining at the oars, which is a very sophisticated way of saying rowing for their lives. Because I can imagine that they were just paddling like crazy, wanting to get out of this lake. Jesus walks out to them. He sees them there. They're straining at the oars. And what does he say? It's me. I'm here. Don't be afraid. His command to them, his instruction to them is, don't be afraid. Did you you know that the most frequently given command in the Bible is just that? Don't be afraid. Some variation of the phrase, don't be afraid. Fear not. Do not fear And most of the time when you see that phrase, it's also accompanied by a statement of God's presence. Don't be afraid. I will be with you. The Lord will be with you. Fear not. I am with you. Over and over. It's the most frequently given command or directive in the Bible, almost 150 times, some variation of the phrase to God's people, don't be afraid. Interesting that that would be the one. I think most people would, be, uh, would think something more along the lines of like, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't have fun, uh, don't basically do anything, just don't sin until Jesus comes back. Uh, some, I think most people would assume it's something along those lines, but it's actually, don't be afraid. So of all the things the Bible says do or don't do, there's one thing God is abundantly clear that he doesn't want you to do, be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, I mentioned this particular passage has significance for me. I can't read it without thinking of one incident that happened to me probably 10 years ago. Uh, Do you guys remember when Chuck Norris jokes were really popular? If you're not familiar with Chuck Norris jokes, they're not really laugh out loud funny. They're just sort of clever, sometimes not that clever quips about Chuck Norris awesomeness, basically. So like dumb things like Chuck Norris can slam a revolving door. Chuck Norris can believe it's not butter. Chuck Norris can win a game of Connect Four in only three moves. Chuck Norris sleeps with a pillow under his gun. Chuck Norris doesn't do push-ups, he does earth downs. You get the idea. They're not really that funny, they're just sort of goofy little ridiculous quips. Um, And by the way, I think we can all agree Chuck Norris is pretty majestically awesome. Okay, so that's what Chuck Norris jokes are. So here's what happened. I was... uh, I was at this youth event, and we were, uh, I was teaching from the same, the same passage, and same principle applies. God, God doesn't want us to live in fear. He wants us to trust in him. That's, sort of, that's the big idea. You know, we can kind of get our, our heads around that. And so uh, at the end, I said to the students, mostly high schoolers, maybe a few junior hires, uh, I said, you know, if any of you has something going on, you just, you just want one of your youth leaders to, to pray with you. You know, you just need to, to chat with one of your leaders. Uh, I just want to invite you to uh, just come on up and do that at the end. They'll just be up here in the front, and, and you can come do that. And so, uh, so it was great. Uh, a lot of kids had stuff they needed to offload, and uh, it was really great for them to be able to talk and pray with someone that they loved and trusted. And truthfully, uh, a lot of the things they were dealing with were pretty heavy. 
not uncommon, unfortunately, but, but just heavy, heavy things, um, you know, issues at school, issues in their families, uh, just difficult, difficult stuff. And I came to this one kid, uh, probably one of the younger students in the room, maybe 13 or so, and he sort of motioned me like this, like, I got a big one for you, so, you know, lean in close, and I put my head down, he gets wrapped in my ear, and he says, Jesus walked on water, but Chuck Norris can swim on land. I was like, for Chuck Norris joke, that one's actually pretty good. Like, that might go down as my all-time favorite. But my man, I'm afraid you have seriously missed the point of this particular narrative. I'm going to trust that you all are slightly to extremely, somewhere in there, more intuitive than this particular young man. And uh, so I want to just throw you three observations that I made about this particular uh, story, this particular narrative. The first one is this. Uh, This might be a good one to write down. Storms create fear, Jesus creates faith. Storms create fear, Jesus creates faith. Um, I like it when the Bible uses um, pictures about storms because it's an easy metaphor for us uh, to apply to areas of life. Storms aren't always in a rowboat in the middle of a lake at night with an unknown object coming at you. Uh, Sometimes they're in your own household. Sometimes they're waiting for you in your mailbox. Sometimes they're a phone call from a doctor's office. Storms come in all kinds of different, uh, of different forms, and in those, we get to choose whether or not we're going to be governed by fear or faith. Sometimes that's a real battle in making that decision. In Matthew's account, he records a little more detail. Uh, Matthew actually records some of the dialogue that happens. John basically just records the event as it happened, uh, mostly third person, but Matthew actually records some of the dialogue. So they're out in the boat. Uh, Jesus comes toward them. They're afraid. And in Matthew 14, 27, Jesus responds to their fear. It says, but immediately Jesus said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Next verse, verse 28, uh, records the dialogue between Jesus and Peter. It might be a familiar story to you. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come on, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Now, the last part's kind of weird for me. Here's what I think about Peter's doubt. Um, yeah, he might have doubted when he saw the waves and you know, everything happened around him. But he had more faith than the other guys who didn't get out of the boat, so I don't want to be too hard on Peter for that. It makes sense that John wouldn't record that dialogue, uh, because uh, you might remember from week one, about a year and a half ago, uh, <laughs> thank you for, for giving me a laugh at that, uh, John is the last living disciple. Okay? All of the others uh, are gone. Uh, Matthew's gospel, Luke's, and Mark's have all been written for some time. Um, So John's not so much interested in reiterating content. In fact, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are about 90%, if you can want to try to quantify it, uh, I guess you'd say redundant information, meaning just about anything you read in any one of those can also be found in one of the other two. Uh, and so, but in John's case, John's gospel is actually a little bit over half, probably around 60% or so, actually new information, uh, because John knows that that information's all out there. He's, he's concerned about one thing, making sure we have the information we need to make a decision about trusting Jesus. 
He tells us later towards the end of the book, these are the things I've written so that you can believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing, have life in his name. Um, So it makes sense that he doesn't record uh, the dialogue, but I think we can all relate to Peter's story. I think probably everybody here, no matter how young or old you are, has had seasons in life where you weren't sure how it was going to work out. You experienced anxiety about the future, about what was happening around you. Uh, Some of you are business owners. Uh, If you want to stay awake at night, own a business. Uh, (laughs) That's a great way to do it. Uh, Maybe a situation in uh, a marital relationship kept you awake at night. Maybe you were without a job. Maybe you were underemployed and just not sure how you're going to make everything connect. That'll, that'll keep you awake at night. That'll give you some anxiety. Uh, if you've raised children, there's plenty of reasons along the way to have anxiety. Most all of us have been through some kind of a storm. Most of us get that. So I just want to make an observation from my personal experience in those seasons where I'm laying awake at night. When I've laid awake at night thinking about the problem, I have a specific set of emotions and feelings, Uh, things like anxiety, things like fear, uh, the feeling of being overwhelmed. But when I lay awake at night intentionally thinking, I'm going to entrust this to you, God, I'm going to intentionally give this to you, what kind of feelings do I have then? Well, the opposite. I'm more hopeful. I'm less fearful. I'm certainly more calm. I'm more faithful. When my thoughts circulate around giving that over to Jesus, trusting in him, a practical way of doing what he said, don't be afraid. Well, when Peter, he looks around at the storm, his focus is on the storm, he's overwhelmed by his fear. But when he turned his attention to Jesus, Jesus actually overwhelms the storm. Because storms create fear, but Jesus creates faith. We have the opportunity to choose. It's not always an easy decision. Sometimes you've got to make that decision over and over. Sometimes you've got to remind yourself of the right decision. But we have the opportunity to choose which one of those is going to govern our behavior and our thought life. Seems like the choice is easy, right? I know, it's easy to do. Second observation is this. Think about them in the boat. Before Jesus showed up, what were they doing? They were taking matters into their own hands. They were rowing for their lives. Well, that's exactly what we do. Before we invite Jesus into the boat, what do we do? We strain at the oars. We take matters into our own hands. Uh, I've done that so many times. I know that you have probably as well. But listen, no one's ever written a hit country song called Jesus, Give Me That Wheel. Okay? This is, if, if they had, we would probably all just think, man, you're an idiot. That is not compelling. Okay? Giving it to Jesus is exactly what he's asking us to do. Uh, Do you know anyone who's a planner Uh, or maybe live with a planner? If you are a planner, don't raise your hand. I'm sorry. This isn't going to go well for you. Uh, I live with a planner. My wife's a planner. Uh, If you live with someone who's a planner, the reason they call themselves a planner is because controlling sounds negative. They like to be in control. (laughs) My wife loves to know what's going to happen. If we're going somewhere, let's, like, let's make a plan. I'm sort of more of a freewheeler. Like, okay, well, you know, we'll figure it out when we get there. I'm good. I don't, I don't need the plan. Um, but all of us can relate to, even if you're not a planner, the feeling of uh, having an expectation, and then when that expectation isn't panning out, the anxiety that comes with that. 
Um, especially if you're a checklist person and a calendar person, when things don't go according to plan, um, it's very easy to feel anxiety or the discomfort that comes from situations not going according to plan. All of us, all of us have been there. So I want to try and just pair up the spiritual and the practical, because I think we need both. You know, if we go all spiritual, um, what we tend to do is just wait on God, and then he sends things to us, and we're like, no, I'm just waiting. Like, um, uh, it's sort of like when you have someone who's been living in the parents' basement for, you know, 10 years, just waiting for God, but God already sent like 300 people to tell them to go look for a job. Uh, we run the risk of kind of doing, kind of doing something like that, Right? If we just go all spiritual, but then if we go all practical, uh, we run the risk of getting really freaked out when things don't go well, uh, putting a lot of stress that just isn't necessary. So, so think about the disciples. They're in the boat. They're in the storm. It's dark. Jesus comes up to them. What does he say? Guys, it's me. Stop rowing. He doesn't say that. Maybe they did stop rowing. We don't know. But his command was don't fear. He didn't tell them to like stop moving towards the other shore, stop doing whatever it is that sailors do, stop rowing the boat. Uh, should you make plans and take action on them? Yeah, I think you should. But this is why, if we want to put the spiritual and the practical together, this is why it's important for us to walk with Jesus on an ongoing basis, on a day-in and day-out basis, so that he can shape our plans and our actions. Uh, sometimes we just have this mental picture that God is only in the big and the miraculous, but he's not in the details. History actually says he's in the details a lot more often. Uh, you see that all throughout scripture, the, uh, the narrative of his people. God's in those details. So it's important for us, uh, it's important for us to walk with him on an ongoing basis. Uh, last week, Pastor Rick talked about uh, Jesus feeding the multitude, and one of the guys was Philip. Pastor Rick called him the freak out guy. Because he realized there's more people here than we have food or money. Ah, and Andrew comes with this, you know, five loaves of bread and these two fish. And Philip's like, what are you thinking? He runs the numbers. Eight months wages won't pay for that. He's freak out guy. That's what happens when we're just all practical. So it's important to put the two together. Third observation, last one, is that once Jesus showed up, they were at their destination. This one is kind of weird for me. I have to admit, for me, like the walking on water, calming the storm, like that part in and of itself is like awesome enough for me. Uh, I don't know if exactly like if that means they like teleported there or if this interaction was like three hours long. And then by the time he got in the boat and calmed the storm, they were like, oh, there's the shore. I don't really know how it happened. But that part's just weird for me. Not because it's not because it's supernatural, um, but it just feels like sort of an aside to the rest of the story. Until I thought of it this way. Try to just remove the, the story of the boat and just consider the implications of this statement. Once Jesus showed up, they were at their destination. No guys in the boat, just once Jesus showed up, they were at their destination. Once Jesus showed up in your life, you were at your destination. Geographically, they were going to Capernaum. That's where they were headed. They were heading to that beach on the other side of the lake. But what I, what I understand from reading the whole of the Gospels is that their ultimate destination was to be with Jesus. Maybe, maybe Jesus is the ultimate destination. Does that make sense? That's sort of out there, sort of, sort of ethereal. But think, think of it this way. 
Maybe your Capernaum is retirement or college or a new job or marriage or a new house. Like maybe, maybe that's the place you're kind of, you got your sights on, that's the place you're working towards, that's where I'm going in the immediate future. Make plans for that. Take action on that. But know that Jesus is going to get you to the places he needs you to go. And your ultimate destination is to be with him. And that's, that's an eternal destination. That's not a place that you're, you're ever going to have to leave. Your ultimate destination at the end of everything else is to be with Jesus. And at the end of Matthew's account, he says something kind of interesting that John doesn't, doesn't tell us about. He says, when this is all over, at the end of this, Matthew 14, 33, says, Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. If Jesus is your destination, if life with him and being in his will and putting his kingdom and his plans first, if that's your destination, then you don't have to be freak out guy when the storms come. Because you're already at your destination. You're already there. So I just want to put the big idea in layman's terms. Uh, the simplest way that I can think of. Trust Jesus more, freak out less. That sounds easy enough, doesn't it? Trust Jesus more, freak out less. Do trust that he's going to work it out. Do trust that God is trustworthy. Don't freak out and be afraid. Uh, it's, a very, it's a very simple way to know, am I in the center of what God has for me? Well, am I afraid that he's going to leave me here and this isn't going to work out? Because if I am, then I'm not trusting him. I'm not in the center of, of what he has for me. I get it. It's easy for me to stand up here right now with a microphone and say that, right? We just, we just prayed for a little girl whose parents just found out she has cancer. It's a different situation, okay? But over and over throughout Scripture, Jesus says, I'm good for it. Don't be afraid. Trust me. It's easier said than done. I realize that. But because of Jesus, we have the freedom to trust him more, freak out less. That's what he wants, you, wants for us. So I'll just tell you what gets in my head. This is what gets in my head. I'm, I'm a pastor. Um, I do this. I do church. I, I love being with people. And this is what kind of gets in my head. Uh, I know, uh, or I, I should say, I have a dream, a vision for this church that we all together uh, as a team, uh, you know, our whole church family, that we can help scores of people know Jesus. Uh, to be able to do this, to be able to trust God and freak out less, to be able to have peace, to be at their destination for eternity. Uh, I, ha I have a dream that we'll be able to accomplish that and help so many people. And I also know um, I have that vision because I'm fully aware that in this church family, we easily have the capacity and the skills and the abilities to do all to do that. But I think we could all agree we're not at our full potential yet. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't done that to the maximum extent of our ability. In five years, uh, we've come a really long ways from nothing to something. Uh, but that's, that's the dream that I have, that we can, we can help scores of hurting, lonely people know Jesus, uh, walk with him. Uh, but here's what I do, okay? So I know what I should think with that. I should think, let's just, let's just keep following him. He's going to get us to our destination. Let's just, let's just follow him and act on the things that, that he tells us to act on and not worry about the things that he's not worried about. That, I know that's what I should think. But you know what I do think? I need to row harder. That's why I needed to go on vacation. Because I think 
Row harder, guys, row harder. I think freak out guy, not trust Jesus more. Um, so I understand that it's, it's easier said than done. It's not always in the dramatic things. Sometimes it's just in the normal things of life. We're freak out guy in those too. Um, you know, the bill comes that we weren't expecting and we can look back at 30 years of history of life and realize the bills got paid in the past. It'll come together right now. But what do we do? Row harder, right? We turn the wheels, turn the wheels a little bit faster. So I know that in your life, you have similar situations. Storms come all the time, and we think to ourselves, row harder, instead of thinking, Jesus is here, he's going to get me where I'm going. I know that. So what I want to do is, I just want to pray a really simple prayer. I'm just going to ask everybody to close their eyes, and I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me, and then breathe easy, to actually internalize and, and believe that he's going to do what he said he'll do. I want, I want to invite you to, to just offload some of that weight right now. Jesus, I know that you're with me. God, I know that you're with me. And I'm going to trust you to get me through the storm. God, I, I know that you're with me and I trust you to get me through the storm. I know that there's a destination and you're already there. And you're going to get me there. I'm going to make plans, I'm going to take action, but I'm going to trust in you, not in the plans or the action. God, I know that you're with me, and you're going to get me to the other side. God, I pray that you help us walk in that confidence in Jesus' name.